If all the Big Brother contestants died, would anyone notice? Answer me this, answer me this. Have you ever been in a paddling pool containing no piss? Answer me this, answer me this. Helen and Ollie, answer me this. So the day that this comes out is the day before the London 2012 Olympics come out. That's right. We're really excited because there's lots of livestock that are going to be in a big show. <laughs> yeah. And billions of people. Yeah. yeah like 20 like, sheep and five goats. It'll be like when they get that tiny little white horse on at the end of the first half of the panto. <laughs> but a lot of people, by the time you're listening to this, will have seen the opening ceremony. I'm going to say in advance, and I know I'm risking my neck here, I think it'll be really good. Danny Boyle rarely actually fucks up. But at the time of recording, we are, of course, untainted by the knowledge of what is going to happen That's at right. the Olympics opening ceremony, but not what is in Answer Me This Sports Day, our Olympic spin-off album, though we're not allowed to say that, we're not allowed. <laughs> uh, and what is in there is 59 minutes and 33 seconds of sporty fun, fun, fun. That's right. It is the ultimate soundtrack to watching the Olympics this summer. So if you're watching the opening ceremony and you're like, I don't mind Danny Boyle's music choices, I personally wouldn't have chosen Velvet Underground for this montage of uh, long jumpers, then you can say... <laughs> Why are they all sinking through the ground? <laughs> then you can say, I know, I'll listen to Helen and Ollie answer me this sports day for only £2.49 from iTunes. Yeah, because I went to some live sports the other day at Crystal Palace and I thought, I'm willing to do this because it's five minutes from my house. Yes, yeah, which is also what brought you down to the torch relay the other day as well. Yeah, I thought, well, I ought to go... Because even though I'm not interested, I won't get the chance to go again. And it, maybe it will be valuable for me to see what someone who is interested looks like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I realised that is the kind of choice a psychopath would make. <laughs> it's, sort of, it's sort of similar to if, if you decided to marry Martin purely to see what love feels like. I've been practising my ecstatic faces in the mirror <laughs> like a real person. But anyway, anyway yes. what I didn't realise about live athletics and the torch relay is that you have to listen to shit local commercial radio shouting and music throughout. So yeah. like during the athletics... They were doing that, make some noise stuff, which I find so objectionable anyway because I feel like it really dehumanises me. But then they were playing yeah. some really chronic music. Like, Rihanna was the best stuff and then most of it was, like, 10 million notches lower than Rihanna. A lot of hideous auto-tune. Yeah. And, then, and then some of the stuff was so bad that it was really putting some of the athletes off. So there was a guy <laughs> trying to pole vault and as he was doing his run-up with the pole, they started playing Maroon 5 and he completely, <laughs> he completely fluffed it. He just went straight under the bar, onto the mat. Yeah. So anyway, what I'm saying is take something else to put in your ears whilst watching sports. Yeah, and that should be the answer to this Sports Day album. Here's a question about the Olympics from Aggie from London. She says, I work for a multinational company. Today, a notice was posted on our intranet reminding staff that as the Muslim holy month of Ramadan is underway, could we all be a little respectful of our fasting colleagues and clients for example, refrain from eating or drinking in front of them. Does and that really need to be said? Like, you're going to be like, all right, Mohammed, you want to try these smoky bacon crisps? They're delicious. <laughs> oh, it must be really hard to have Ramadan during August in the Northern Hemisphere because the days are so long. Hmm. It's all right when it's December and there's very little daylight. Anyway, Ollie, answer me this. What are the rules regarding Muslim athletes fasting? Surely... For example, Algerian weightlifters and Malaysian swimmers need to continue to eat a lot of calories in order to perform at their best. Well, mm, actually, there's a, lot of, oh. there's a lot of debate about that. Oh, Clearly, it would be dangerous for someone who had no previous experience of fasting and who wasn't an athlete to suddenly come to a different country and not eat anything all day and then run for an hour and a half. That oh. would be dangerous. Well, I don't know, because I met this woman the other week and she went on this two-week Thai detox where you just like have one juice a day. And she said it was amazing, but that was probably because her brain had shrunk. <laughs> 
Um, but, um, you know, if you actually are a Muslim athlete, i.e. you have experience at fasting over 20 years or so, and you are an athlete, so you're very in touch with your body and you're pushing it to yeah. the limits every day, it's not actually as dangerous as it might be if you weren't. So, I mean, there is some debate about it. And in fact, I mean, she mentions uh, Algerian weightlifters. I don't know about that, but I know that the Algerian steeplechase Khalid Belabas uh, is indeed fasting for Ramadan. Right, yeah. shit. Steeplechase as well, that's demanding, isn't it? That's like sort of obstacle course, isn't it, but running. But it's really long. Yeah, well, I've seen an interview with him and he basically just said, well, look, it's more important to me to be a Muslim than it is to be an athlete. Good for him. But Well, yeah, mm. but is it good for Algeria? I don't know. I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? Should you be choosing athletes who actually are prepared to say, actually, well, I'm secular and therefore I might be more likely to win? Don't know. Yeah, but maybe he's better than the secular ones, even when he's fasting. Well, I guess we'll see. The proof <laughs> well, will be in the steeplechase. Well, we've got your eye on you, Balabas. In Team GB, all four of the Muslim athletes that we have representing us in various sports... They've all said they're not going to first. But one of them, Aroa, is providing 60 meals for the poor for every day that he misses. Wow. So it's kind of like carbon um, offsetting (laughs) with Ramadan. Well, also, that is another of the pillars of uh, Islam, isn't it? Charity. Charity, yeah. So it's sort of, yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe he's like, well, one of my pillars has shrunk a bit, but I'll compensate with one of the other bars on the graph. Exactly. Josh from London. Helen and Ollie answered me this. Me and my friend were just eating bread with sesame seeds on it, and we were wondering... What do sesame seeds actually grow into? Sesame seeds grow into a, a flower, kind of like a little white tube that's hairy on the outside. Well, it sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> if Julian Opie was drawing Martin, it would look something like that. <laughs> but actually, it's, a, it's quite an interesting crop because it's the oldest oilseed crop known to humanity. Of course, sesame oil, you can use yeah. that in like stir fries and stuff. Oh, can't it's you? delicious. Yeah. Salad dressings. But it's a very drought resistant plant, which means you can grow it on the edge of desert. So it, it proliferates in uh, rather inhospitable places and it provides a valuable source of protein. Nice. Okay, actually, I'd kind of forgotten about sesame oil and that makes me feel a little bit better about the whole sesame plant, actually. Why? Because, well, because as we've talked about before I went to a vegetarian school what you get in your packed lunches instead of a Mars bar are oh. sesame snaps oh those and are just, a bit rough oh, the, just, even just the name still makes me shudder as a child I just used to think what is this because it's not sweet and it's not savoury it's, it's the transvestite of the snack world what are what, you what is it the intersex seed I just like hell for me is not a boot stomping down on your face for all humanity but someone force feeding me sesame snaps is that what's in your room 101 is that a cage full of sesame snaps yeah basically Basically, yeah. Or someone who just sandwiches me between sesame snaps, like some sort of medieval torture device. Or rubs them all over you like a pumice. Oh, don't. Actually, you make me feel a bit (laughs) weird. It's Kieran from Frackleton. Uh, I'm currently doing work experience at a primary school, and uh, I was just wondering, is it okay when the teacher leaves the room for me to shout at the children and tell them to shut up? It depends how you shout at them, I think. If you say, class, sit down, yeah. that, that's about okay. But if you say, I'm going to literally kill all of you! Yeah, well, the, the problem with that technique, actually, is that you actually make yourself look vulnerable, don't and you? And I've hurt my throat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But children can spot weakness, is what I'm saying. Oh my God, they and can actually, smell it yeah. with their tiny nostrils. And if you look like you're emotionally disturbed by the activity they've been getting up to they ain't gonna stop why would they stop it's working exactly exactly that is their intention when you sense success you'd be stupid to stop wouldn't you that's right so i think if you're going to shout at these children kieran then do it with a sense of humor and then instead of spotting your vulnerability and latching onto that what they'll do is they'll all think you're a lovable eccentric because actually 
kids do quite like being shouted at. You want that framework telling you, you what is right it. and wrong. Yeah, I know. Don't we sound like a right-wing talk radio show now? But actually, that's true because... I miss the beatings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember at my school, my primary school, there was a chemistry teacher who used to throw blackboard rubbers at yes. kids who were misbehaving. Yeah, we had that as well. They usually didn't hit them. Well, it wasn't going to cause any lasting injury, really, was it? And actually, when you weren't in his class, the big talking point was who was going to get the blackboard rubber thrown at them. Isn't that a bit counterproductive, then, because the kids would play up. deliberately rile, rile him to see... Me! Me! Some <laughs> people were trying to catch the hockey pocket, an ice hockey game. Yeah. But the point is, it did give him licence to injure the children physically, and everyone really loved it. It would let, let off steam, wouldn't it? Yeah, 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 exactly. Wonderful. OK, well, what Kieran then obviously has to do is to think up some theatrical techniques that will divert the children... Exactly. Uh, ...from making the mischief that they know works. It's like when my niece views are being annoying little shits and very loud, and I say, hey, I've got an idea for a competition... The winner is the person who can make the quietest noise. <laughs> and because they're so stupid. Yeah. I did the quietest noise. I was really quiet then. I was like, Albert, you've just lost. And they're like, oh. one day they'll be too old for that to work and I'll have to think of another one. But it's worked a treat for two years. That's a good idea. You can help yourselves, guys. If you got a question, got a question, email your question, email your question to, answer to answer me this podcast at Google Mail.com. Here's a question of musicals. Yay! All right, you don't win me over that easy, Helen, although my <laughs> yeah, heart I is do. dancing. Uh, <laughs> it's from Philippa from Bury St Edmunds in Suffolk, home of magnificent topiary. But uh, not really any musicals that I'm aware of. I don't know. I think Chicago would have been better if it had been set in Bury St Edmunds. It would have been hard to fit on a poster, though, wouldn't it? Long title. <laughs> he had it coming. We went to the Abbey and looked at the ruins. <laughs> la dee da <laughs> uh, Anyway, Philippa says... I recently was in County Opera School's production of Phantom of the Opera. You needn't tell me, Philippa, the chattering classes have been talking of little else for the last few weeks. (laughs) Did you see? Did you see? (laughs) Uh, I have to say, it was amazing. False modesty much? But even after four performances and a week of almost constant rehearsal, plus six months of singing practice and dance choreography, I'm still unsure. Ollie, answer me this. Is the Phantom a goodie or a baddie? (laughs) I'm not sure what argument there is that he's a goodie. Why must he be one or the other? Well, absolutely. I suppose maybe she just thinks musicals are so... Black, Black and, white. and white. Yes, yes. So moral. Well, you see, but that's the mistake people often make with musical theatre, isn't it? They assume that because you can watch it in a way that's completely insubstantial, yeah. that there is no substance to it. Whereas, obviously, the musicals that are really good, and by the way, I hate Phantom of the Opera personally, <laughs> but nonetheless, the box office receipts would suggest that lots of people think it's really good. Philippa says it's amazing. Yes, yeah, that's right. So she must be right. The ones that are really good do have a bit more going on and a bit more interpretation. I think you have to settle, basically, for Baddie, because it's based on a book that's uh, 100 years old. Anything written 100 years ago in which... A character is disfigured. Yeah. You know, we're talking about a world before Mask with Cher in it. Is Quasimodo evil? Ooh. But then the Beast in Beauty and the Beast, he's kind of good, isn't he? Yeah, but that's a trick because he's actually a handsome man um, put under a spell. Yeah. Well, the Phantom is also a handsome man underneath it. He was once a handsome man. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the version I saw, he was played by Charles Dance. That it always set my mother's pants a flutter. Nonetheless, the fact that he's disfigured indicates underneath it all, bad. Also, from what I remember, the Phantom represents 
sex and the other guy that's wooing Christine represents love, Raul. romantic love. The fact is, he's obviously a dick because he's like the collector. He's keeping her in a cellar, hoping she'll love him. Yes, dick. yes. But he's only doing that really in, in repayment for the fact that he's taught her to sing and now she's a big opera star. So oh, it's a that's bit- like uh, if Joseph Fritz was like, Elizabeth, you didn't clean your room. <laughs> Down the stairs, you're not coming out. Or if Simon Cowell said, One Direction, you are now going to live in my house forever. <laughs> um, she has slightly cockteased him she's like oh I can sing I can sing oh it's amazing and then when he says alright then marry me she's like actually I'm not sure you've got a horrible face well maybe it would have been sensible for him to wear a funnier mask like one of those spitting image Thatcher masks or one of those postcards with the Queen's face on it that you can get all over London but I'm not sure those existed in France in 1890 something shop around for masks is what I'm saying <laughs> well from one question about a bad man to another it's from Claire from Evesham slash Leamington Spa make up your mind Claire she says, Ollie, answer me this. What happened to Hitler's paintings? <laughs> Since <laughs> Athena closed down. <laughs> <laughs> um, they weren't, like, destroyed or anything. No, I mean, presumably they're very valuable. Well, they're more valuable than uh, paintings by a shit painter should be. Yeah, they're, they're not great, are they? I mean, they're fine. They're technically fine. They're, yeah. they're just bland watercolours of landscapes and stuff. There's nothing really to distinguish them. But then yeah. I suppose he didn't have the time to work out his own style because he went off and became a dictator instead. That's right, yes. At a time when a lot of artists would be developing and then peaking in their 60s and he, he was dead by then. He had an anti-Semitic manifesto of hate to write, Helen. He didn't have time to develop his painting skills. Yeah, but, but he could have done the pictures in that, couldn't he? Well, uh, yeah, because that's one thing Mein Kampf is missing, isn't it? <laughs> Illustrations. Um, <laughs> to answer the question, some of them uh, did actually get confiscated effectively by the US Army and they're still in the possession of the US government. Wow, well, I wonder what they're doing with them. Maybe there's a whole wing of uh, the White House that's yeah. just full of Nazi <laughs> art. No, but come on. If you were Barack Obama, you're giving the likes of David Cameron a tour. You would be like, hey, do you want to come and see some of Hitler's paintings? Yeah, <laughs> That's know. quite cool, isn't I'd, it? I'd send yeah. one to Mitt Romney going, Happy Christmas! <laughs> Looking at Hitler's paintings, they remind me of the paintings you get in hotel rooms where they've just yes. got some paintings to fill space that uh, they're not the kind of paintings that anyone will ever love. They're Holiday Inn paintings, aren't they? Yeah, they are. If you found a Hitler painting in a charity shop for £2, would you buy it? Yes, of course, because they are worth tens of thousands. Aye. Yes, just because it's by Hitler. Would you put it on your wall? <laughs> I love the idea of someone going around your house and then you go, oh, who's that painting? Oh, that's, that's, that's original Hitler. I actually have... I shouldn't really... I've never admitted this in a public forum before. Oh, my God, exclusive. Um, <laughs> I have a Charles Bronson line drawing. He sent it to Philip Schofield. And it was when I was working on the ITV programme this morning mm. And we were running a this morning caricature competition And he entered? Yes No way! So the viewers had to draw their own caricature of Philip and Fern And send it to this morning Uh oh And I being the lonely researcher was charged with opening the mail And then putting the good ones into a pile And one of them came through from Charles Bronson And um, it was as you'd expect Was it like Philip and Fern smashing each other's heads or well, something? No, the, the picture was a caricature of Philip and Fern Okay, and because you still wanted one. to win. What was the prize? But on the back was it? Uh, I think it was a hobbycraft kit or something. I'm not sure they're allowed that in prison because they're probably blades. I think it wouldn't look good and on brand if on air Philip and Fern read out that the winner was Charles Bronson. What was, what was Charles Bronson in for? I can't remember. He, originally, he got seven years for something like ABH, not right. killing someone. Okay. But then, since he was there in 1970 something, he's become Britain's most violent prisoner. Right. And he's like attacked security guards with forks, and he's, he, he was released for about 40 days and then went back in again since 1980 or something. Oh, okay. He's a bad apple. He's, he's, he's a bad apple. And um, but anyway, I, I I saw it and I thought, what do I do with this? Because what's the official protocol? Probably I'm supposed to take this through to the producer of the program and say, uh, we've had a slightly threatening letter from Charles Bronson. Yeah. But he's in prison. He's not going to do anything. Mm. And 
they would definitely not show it to Philip Schofield because it's going to yeah. freak him out. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, he yeah. must also just be used to nutters getting in touch because that's what people do to people that are on television. They send them crazy mail. Exactly, and it was exactly. It wasn't really to Philip Schofield. It was to Charles Bronson's weird impression of what Philip Schofield was. And so I just thought, well, I'm not going to get anything productive by handing this in, but if I keep it, this is going to be something. I'm, I'm not proud. I wouldn't go buying Charles Bronson artwork, but since I've been sent it, yeah. I'll just keep it. So did you frame it and put it on your wall? No, uh, I've kept it in my various bits of... Uh, when I worked in TV production memorabilia. Along From violent criminals. Um, well, no, I, I've got a picture of me and Kermit the Frog. I've got a oh, uh, parking nice. fines audit from Vanessa Feltz uh, and right. an autograph of David Hasselhoff and a letter to Philip Schofield from Charles Bronson. Because I've still got some crazy letters that I intercepted when it was my job to open the post at BBC News. Oh, yeah, you had some crackers. Oh, I photocopied them and gave them to all my friends. <laughs> they were amazing. Dear Anna Ford, I get erections of the penis over you. I don't want your sweet daughters. I want you. Michael Winner don't set my standards. Oh, that's right, yeah. And then it's all tailed off into this kind of... Uh conspiracy and then it just went sorry you'll never understand and that was the end of the four pages so it went from kind of sexual enthusiasm to like you're not the woman for me Anna Ford fuck you and goodbye <laughs> what's your favourite question for my first three years that's really made you good for Tim Curry or Tim Rice disposing of dead mice Dave from Smethwick on kosher law if you like fact or body talk or just a soundtrack for your walk we've got stuff to entertain because for 79 pence each you can buy our first three years episodes Or just the good ones, who could blame you? Go to answermethispodcast.com slash classic or iTunes And if you don't, you'll get a visit in the night From our band of hired goons Hired goons, whack, whack, whack to what they say If you value your knees Here's a question from Jack in Surrey who says I recently moved into my first proper house Well, well done for no longer living in a doll's house Living with four other guys, I noticed that we have our own particular habits. That's good, isn't it? Because they're not all clones. Yes. Um, uh, one of my housemates only ever reads on the stairs. Okay. Ooh. And can do so for hours. Interesting. Wow. Uh, I've never met anyone who's done this in their own home when there are perfectly good armchairs and sofas on which to read. Maybe he likes his buttocks to be pressed against a hard angular surface. Yeah, well, actually, I kind of can identify with this Sometimes. a bit. Sometimes you want mm. to have your limbs jammed against a wall and your back jammed against another wall and a book in between. Yeah. He perhaps enjoys the lack of distraction. Maybe the rest of your housemates watch telly all the time or you're really loud or you're always doing uh, games. And he's like, I, f- I can feel serene on the stairs. No one else is spending time on the stairs but me. Well, Jack continues. Helen, answer me this. Is my housemate really weird? Well, yeah, a bit, yeah. A bit. And do you have a weird place where you like to read? Uh, no, but I used to, uh, in the house I grew up, there was a large cupboard on our landing and I would go in there for hours at a time. And it was really nice because all the sleeping bags were in there, so it was very comfortable. And it had a kind of comforting cupboard smell full of coats and old suitcases and stuff. That's really sweet. That is the kind of thing that only kids do, isn't it? It was great. You never, you never like, where's Granny? Oh, she's in the cupboard with the sleeping bags where reading Raider's Digest. <laughs> yeah. And actually, Jack, if your flatmate has managed to maintain that childhood joy and discovery... Of Nooks. Good on him. Yes, exactly. Because the problem with our flat now for reading is it doesn't contain any unusual nooks. Nooks is a curious thing because uh, you, you would see a nook, but you'd never see an individual cranny. No, I wouldn't. I've never had anyone say, oh, yeah, it's just in the cranny under the stairs. You're like, Where's the cranny? Next to the nook. Right, yeah. Why didn't you say the nook and the cranny? Yeah. <laughs> I used to like going to the um, plinth around the lions, the bottom of Nelson's column in Trafalgar Square. Oh, show off. Mm. I used to climb up 
to the top plinth and sit at the bottom of the column. And I haven't done that since I was about 24. And then um, oh. last week I had like an hour free. So I thought, okay, I'll go and read in Trafalgar Square. I had my book on me. Oh. So I went home, <laughs> ripped my corduroys oh. straight down the crotch. That's what happens when you read out of an armchair. It's dangerous, people. Very yeah. dangerous. I mean, this guy, he could cause other people to fall down the stairs. They trip over him as he's deep in his book. He doesn't move out the way. Bam, 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 bam. Yeah, time for another question of flatmating uh, from uh, Sage, who says, I have a friend who lives in a squat with many dreadlocked hippies. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, Not to stereotype, but... (laughs) That's where they keep them. One of said hippies has a habit of breaking off the handle of every mug in the house... Handles, symbol of the patriarchy. Smash, smash, smash. <laughs> Resulting in a lot of drinking tea from pint glasses, burning hands on handleless mugs, etc. Well, you could uh, drink with oven gloves on, but I suppose a squat might not have oven gloves. Um, anyway, I thought it would be nice to buy her a mug. It's not in the nature of squatting, is it? Uh, with an unbreakable handle, but I just can't find one. Plastic mugs just aren't the same. Yeah. So, Helen, answer me this. Can you shed some light on my mug-based quandary? It's not really a quandary. They're saying, can you recommend a mug that's unbreakable? Oh, well, the answer me this mug, it's very stout. Oh, that's bloody good, isn't oh, it? Oh, it's quite big. It's, it's a very big large. Yeah. And ours, ours has done nearly five years of unchipped service. That's, <laughs> answer me this podcast.com slash superstore. I think the solution is to buy her a load of tin cups. They don't break. They taste a bit nicer than plastic, but also she can just leave them out for the hippies and then she can keep her nice mugs in her room, although that might be against the tenets of the squat yeah so i think either she's gonna have to live with the fact that hippies in squats are not the ideal housemates or you could ask one of the hippies to whittle a mug out of a tree branch they found that had fallen yeah it's not like they're doing anything else with their days here's a question from Braden in australia who says helen answer me this is timbuktu a real place uh, I've had various references to this supposed place, the phrase from here to Timbuktu, for example, but I know nothing else about it. Timbuktu isn't a real place, it's a folk singer. You're really saying that's the wrong crowd, Martin. I'd imagine most of our demographic uh, doesn't overlap with the Timbuktu. I bet they're, a bit, I bet they're big Timbuktu fans. Like, uh, dear, answer me this. <laughs> I've been trying to get hold of a copy of the deleted album Star Sailor. Can you help me find one? <laughs> uh, yeah, it is a real place. Uh, I know that Timbuktu is a real place, yes. but I would struggle to point it out on a map. Yes. But that doesn't tell you very much because I would struggle to point out China on a map. You struggle to point out London on a map of London. (laughs) (laughs) It's technically in Mali. Where Damon Albarn likes to go on holiday. Yes. Do you remember in the late 90s he was into Iceland and then he was like, I'm into Mali now. Mali music. Where next, Albarn? Swindon. (laughs) Um, But earlier this year, um, it was captured in a rebellion from the Malian military and has been declared part of an unrecognised state, Azawad. So it's on the bottom of the Sahara Desert and it's on the River Niger. And uh, that meant that it was known as the crossroad where the camel met the canoe. Desert camel. River canoe. That sounds canoe. like a sexual euphemism. Let the camel see the canoe. So they just meant literally where you disembark your mode of transport to get on the river. Or to take your trade stuff across the desert. So it was a very, very important city for many centuries because it was on the trade routes of salt and gold and uh, it was a seat of learning it had three universities in the 12th century which is uh, that's good going yeah because it was a seat of learning it got this mystical reputation amongst Europeans Mm -hmm. and I guess as well because a lot of people would have travelled through it on the trade routes so it meant like a far away place I don't think that's the reason either 
I honestly think the reason is it sounds a bit like Roald Dahl made it up. It sounds like a place that's a, like a punchline or something. Outer Mongolia, people say as well, yes, don't yes, they? Yes, yes, Dark as Peru in Paddington. Yes, exactly. Peru dark? I, well, <laughs> probably not. Well, maybe where Paddington was born because he's a bear and probably in a cave. I wonder whether to foreign ears, mm. some of the places in British literature sound equally amusing and un- like, you know, Baker Street where Sherlock Holmes is from. <laughs> If only I found you to a novelty. Honestly, I could feel that coming. To some foreign readers of Sherlock Holmes, Baker Street feels like something that's probably made up, but it Mm. is actually a real place here in London. A lady asked us for directions the other night. We were at Baker Street Station and she wanted to know where Sherlock Holmes' house was. It was like he's dead, even if it was real. Fictionally, never actually lived there. And it was 7pm on a Sunday, so even if there is a museum there, it's not going to be open then. (laughs) Yeah, but you see, I actually did something like this myself. We went to see the excellent production of Sweeney Todd that's on at the moment in the West End. Sweeney! And on the bus on the way home, my bus back to uh, Highbury goes down Fleet Street. So I was curious, so I looked Mm. all the way down Fleet Street to see if there actually was a barber shop on Fleet Street. Or a pie shop. Um, Yeah, well, yeah, preferably a pie shop with a barber shop above it. Ideally, yes. Uh, And there is a barber shop on Fleet Street, uh, and it's above a Wagamama. (laughs) (laughs) And what is in those soupy noodles? I thought that I would never love again. I went on to the internet and then What then? I found a place where all true love lasts Hooray! At www.answermedispodcast.com Here's a question from Alice who says Since having children, I've become increasingly compulsive about reducing the clutter in my house. Well, that's the wrong way around, isn't it? Because children bring a wave of shit with them. Yeah, and also children will go around destroying everything that you had anyway, so why bother being proactive about it? They make useful artefacts into clutter. They've got a <laughs> talent for it. Uh, Except well, for the occasional one that is an obsessive compulsive tidier. Keep holding Dream them. child, that. Yeah. yeah, they're probably a bit of a weirdo, though. They'll probably go mad when they're older. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Alice uh, continues, I used to have ornaments, but I got rid of them all. I yeah. suppose well, that could pose a danger to a child, perhaps. Uh, my husband... Hates having change in his pockets, so he leaves little piles of it everywhere. That's the kind of thing that people stab each other about, isn't it? These, these unimportant <laughs> things. Yeah. I saw one more pile of his five pences, and the next thing I knew, his blood was everywhere. I, I, I understand the frustration, though, because it's not asking too much, is it, Alice, for him to just have one place where he keeps his piles of pennies? Why don't you buy him a piggy bank? Uh, anyway, Alice continues. Recently, I got really irritated and threw some 1p and 2p coins away <gasps> in the rubbish yeah. with, with scrap metal going at such a price at the moment you're a monster <laughs> uh, I realise this is financially and morally questionable behaviour but Helen answer me this by removing these coins from circulation have I helped the national economy or damaged it oh sure you've helped in these times of austerity you're like oh I'm rich enough to throw money away yeah I'm pr- pretty sure you've damaged it I, yeah. I know not everyone's with George Osborne's plan of printing loads of money but I've not heard anyone on any side of the political debate actually say let's throw our money away yeah uh, in fact since the, the one and two P pieces were introduced uh, in 1971 when it was decimalisation how much money do you think has disappeared through people losing slash disposing of these coins in pounds in pounds <laughs> 
25 million pounds. 70 million pounds. Wow. And apparently in a, a recent survey, 5.3 million Britons admitted to throwing coins away. And why would you do that? Why would you not keep them in a big jar? And then once a year, you get to go to Coinstar, yes. which is like playing a slot machine where you always win, apart from 7% of the commission. <laughs> I was surprised uh, to find on the Royal Mint website, which uh, obviously I frequent regularly. Yes. That there's actually a limit on uh, what is legal tender in, in these little denominations. So, in other words, you're only allowed to spend 1p coins up to a certain amount when you go and buy stuff. For up to 20p. 20p? Wow. Yeah, it's insane, isn't it? That's cock all. It is a wonderful feeling, though, isn't it, to reach that time in your life where you're sort of, like, trying to negotiate some difficult stairs or get into a bus and you hear 2p drop to the ground. You're like, yeah, I don't need to pick that up, actually. Yeah. Don't talk- scrabble for it, yeah. passerby. Yeah. It's not important. Oh, they got run over by a bus. <laughs> yeah, I do feel bad about that. You drop it on the floor, you've decided not to pick it up, yeah. and someone else generously reaches down and gets it for you. When I first lived in London and I was extremely impoverished, I lived with a man called Mark who had a big bowl where he just dumped his change every evening. Yeah. And there wasn't anything bigger than a, a, a 10 pence or a 20 pence in there. It was mainly coppers. But in order that I could go for my 50p swims each day, I'd comb it for the, uh, the five pences. <laughs> Did he know? No, he didn't, because he didn't care. He never took anything out of the bowl that went into the bowl. Helen. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, what happened to your tight moral compass? Well, I wanted to go for my 50p swims. Yeah, I bet you did. Me, me, me. Yeah. Uh, well, Sorry, Mark, I'll give you the 50p's back. Uh, well, listeners, if, if you are literally throwing money away... Uh, Throw it uh, our way, of as, course. As Alice is, yes. Uh, don't. Do head over to our website where there are links to our merchandise and apps and albums and our book and our classic episodes that you can throw at us instead. And then I'll make a pearly queen-style suit out of all the coppers that <laughs> Alice is throwing away and I will look very dashing, thank you. And as you ought to know by now, the address for that website is answermethispodcast.com Obviously, on that website as well, we have put our contact details so you can send us a question via email, phone and Skype because the sad truth is, listeners, if you don't send us a question there's no show that's right do you want that on mm. your conscience what would we what? be without you nothing what would you be without us listening to something else Helen bye, bye.